Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So as you may be able to tell, we're traveling this week. I'm at Focus Groups, and Kristen is in Aspen hatching all kinds of ideas at the Aspen <laughs> Ideas Festival. <laughs> so uh, we know we're a little bit behind on some of our interviews and lots of you have sent us stories or polls. We see you. We hear you. They are great. We'll keep them coming. We are going to, we are responding. Um, we got a great new review on iTunes from someone who said our show is comfort food for the soul, which was very sweet. And even AJ, who is a friend of one of my husband's interns, sent along a message through his friend to my husband, to me, that he's a fan of the show. We hear you. Message received. So thanks, everybody, for all the great support. So tell us a little bit about Aspen. What's going on at the Ideas Festival, Kristen? This is such a bizarre experience in a, in a good way. I, I, at first, I did joke. Uh, I, I got on Slack with my uh, colleagues back at Echelon pretty shortly after I landed because I'd been at some panel, I think, where somebody, oh gosh, I mean, there, there were just, there were a couple of things that like questions that were asked that I can at best sort of describe as like clueless global elite, like out of touch type questions where I was like, oh my gosh, this conference is going to radicalize me and I'm going to leave like a huge <laughs> Trump supporter. Like I'm going to leave like... <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but in truth, this is it's a really fun experience. Aspen is beautiful. Um, I'm feeling pretty lucky because normally I'm a huge hypochondriac and I'm the type of person that like as soon as I landed, I'd be like, oh my gosh, altitude sickness is totally destroying me. But it's not. I, I've been very lucky and I've been really gorging myself on all of the like fun, free, organic snacks that are everywhere. Um, this has just been described, I think, by Mark Leibovich in this town, uh, that this is like summer camp for gl global elites. And, you know, I that's totally want to go now. Based on that description, I want to go. I know yeah, you I mean, mean it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now it's like, I want to go. Like, it's, you know, I mean, there's, there's yoga in the morning outside, looking at the mountains, and then there's like, you know, tents that have like a big hula hoop toss or like these huge, like, you know, five foot in diameter or five foot in, yeah, uh, diameter, uh, like rubber balls that you can like just push around the campus and like ride or, I mean, it's just, 
<laughs> like, if there was a ball pit here, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, ball pits kind of so gross funny. me out, but like, you could easily have a ball pit here. It'd be like the ball pit of ideas. And that would be a thing. <laughs> that would be a thing. Well, I, so this is a free idea. So we know lots of reporters and producers listen to the show. So free idea for next year. You should send two people, perhaps the pollsters, just throwing that out there, to all of these various conferences, right? So t- I went to TED Women, but you could do like Maine, Maine Mothership TED, um, uh, the Milken Conference that I went to, Davos, which I don't think either of us, I know I haven't been to, have been to, and uh, and Aspen, just to like cover what's the difference in clothes, what's the difference in the panels, what's the difference in food and the swag, because TED Women for sure had the same like organic coffee, fancy, ba- like little makeup bags, cute, like iPad keyboards, like all kinds of crazy stuff that they were giving away. It's the same, it's the same kind of thing. Things, you know, things yuppie conference goers want, you know, yeah, organic my, my... snacks and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> my swag report from here is like yummy organic snacks. Um, I think I guess NBC Comcast is a sponsor. So there's lots of, like, I've got a ton of Rio swag now. And the, the real problem, by the way, is I'm now reading that book all about how to con Mari your life and like purge everything. And now I'm going to come home with like all of this, you know, branded, whatever junk. (laughs) It's like the exact type of stuff I should be purging. Um, but oh, well, yeah. So we, I, I, we volunteers tribute operation Davos send us, doesn't even have to be on a private plane. We'll fly commercial. Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) All right. so, So let's, let's get to the top lines first. Trump's dumpster fire. Can we begin calling this the Trumpster fire? Polls aren't looking so good for the Republican presumptive nominee. But is the shy Trumpy theory something that could be uh, actually not showing up in the polls? Or is this just the unskewed polls theory of 2012? Then Brexit happened, and a lot of folks have blamed the pollsters for getting it wrong. But was the polling really a bust? Then we'll talk a bit about race and whether or not we talk and focus too much on race as a society or not enough. And finally, what the polls say about how people think about princess stuff and little kids. So first, the poll of the week. So folks who are regular listeners of the pollsters probably won't be too surprised about this, but there's been some polling. You may remember a few weeks and months ago, there was lots of talk about whether Democrats would unify, whether Sanders voters would vote for Clinton or whether they're going to vote for Trump. You hear you know, a lot of talk about this. The Washington Post ABC poll that came out in the last few days showed that in May there were 20% of Sanders voters who were going to vote for, um, vote for Trump over Clinton. Now it's 8%. And that is a lower number than you saw in 2008 at a comparable time. So this is a, you know, a real clear sign that Democrats are in fact unifying um, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, but there was a lot of freaking out on, among the Democrats on my Facebook feed for a while. This poll, I, I mean, we'll have to see it replicated, obviously, but this poll is definitely a good sign that, in fact, Democrats are consolidating behind the nominee, which is something that seemed like it was going to happen based on the polls from the last you know month or so. But now it actually looks like that may be happening. So good news. Good news for Democrats. Good news. Good news for Margie's analysis. <laughs> Good news for everybody, everybody that was following along. Um, but meanwhile, on 2016, not necessarily good news for Trump. There's a, there's been a lot of polling out in the last few days that have shown Trump 
And most of it has been bad news. I mean, Ballotpedia released a bunch of ba- uh, battleground state polls that showed Trump way down. There's been the Washington Post ABC poll, uh, the NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Um, there's been subgroup polling by Gallup that shows that evangelical Republicans are not really coalescing behind the nominee, particularly, or they're not getting more favorable toward him. The NBC Wall Street Journal poll, uh, our friend Mark Murray, uh, wrote that uh, over half of, uh, Republicans said that they wish someone else was running besides Trump. Those numbers are reversed for Clinton. I mean, it, it's not all bad news, but it certainly seems like mostly bad news. I mean, what are you seeing out in the, maybe not in Aspen, but in, <laughs> in the Republican confines of every place else that's outside of Aspen? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the polls are really showing that Donald Trump has slipped a lot in the last couple of weeks while Clinton, uh, whether it's because Trump has been doing badly or because she has now locked up her nomination and being presumptive has uh, led to that consolidation. But certainly the polls are not showing things going super well for her. And, you know, we know that Donald Trump loves to talk about his polls and he loves to go after individual pollsters, either praising them or criticizing them if he likes the individual results. So right now you've had a lot of hate over the last week for the ABC News Washington Post poll. And again, as a disclaimer, I am an ABC News political contributor. Um, but I have also been critical of, of, of this poll in the past. Uh, and the last time the poll came out, it actually had Trump up by two. You know, we were talking about how, oh my gosh, we knew the polls were going to narrow, but holy moly, this happened real fast. So ABC Washington Post had been one of the most pro-Trump. I mean, and I don't say that like the pollster themselves is pro-Trump, but like their results had been the most positive for Trump back in May. And now their poll is the one that came out and had Clinton up by 12, which is more than the current polling average. The current polling average has Clinton up by seven. So you've had now Trump coming out. And I think he said, what was it? He called the ABC News poll uh, dirty because, you know, well, Democrats outnumbered Republicans by 10 points among registered voters. Uh, That is, you know, really big echoes of the unskewed polls theory from 2012, right? Well, gosh, you know, how can it be possible that you've got 10 points more Democrats than Republicans in your poll? On the other hand, if a bunch of Republicans are leaving the party, I mean, maybe it's possible. Um, and I think you also had uh, Newt Gingrich, who came out and had some criticism of the Washington Post poll and, you know, was talking about how, you know, that he, he doesn't – the Washington Post may be biased against Trump and, you know, they, they should have some – I think he said the quote is professional dignity and let them either withdraw the poll or redesign it. Um, with all due respect to the former speaker – uh, I, I don't think that this is some like Washington Post anti-Trump conspiracy. That's not how these media polls work. Um, and if there was some anti-Trump house effect, why was it the poll that last month was the most positive for Trump? I mean, if you are say, if, if you don't want to average polls, you just want to pick and choose which polls you like, you need to stick with a particular poll and stick with them and all their house effects. So either you like ABC Washington Post because, hey, last month it had Trump up too. And so, hey, that's great. Um, but then that means if you like them and the way they conduct their polling last month, you don't get to change your mind and say, oh, well, this month, even though they're conducting their polls in the same way, 
I don't like them because <laughs> now the result doesn't show the same way. So with well, all Kristen, due respect, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly how polling analysis works. I don't know. You clearly <laughs> don't know how it's supposed to work. You pick up your phone, you start tweeting insults at pollsters and you're done. That's pretty much how it works. I think. Yeah. Well, so, but, but the, the one thing, uh, so of all of the bad news for Trump at a national level, and we'll get into the state stuff in a moment that I think is really, really where the bad news exists. Um, the one thing that if I'm looking for good news for Trump um, is when you start asking about candidate attributes, I think Trump still does shockingly well on a variety of key attributes. Um, it's It doesn't seem to be helping him so much in the ballot test. But if you really think that we're going to get to November and this is going to be an election where people are angry and they just want change, in the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, they had Trump beating Clinton by 30 points on the question of which candidate would be better at changing business as usual in Washington. They have Trump beating Clinton by 10 points on the question of which candidate would be better at dealing with the economy. You have Trump winning on standing up for America, terrorism and national secure homeland security. You have Trump winning against Clinton on the gun issue. Um, it's, but then you get into questions like being a good commander in chief, handling foreign policy. And these are things where Clinton starts doing better. Um, so I guess the question is, is this going to be an election where people walk into the voting booth and they say, you know what? I don't like either of these guys, but I want dramatic change. Clinton is clearly still beating Trump or Trump is clearly beating Clinton big time on that metric doesn't seem to be helping him in the ballot right now, but that's the one thing he's got going for him in a volatile, angry electorate. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and, and this has been true for a while too. I mean, the honesty piece, I mean, there's just been a, you know, honesty piece. He beats Clinton. That's something that I think is a little worrying. Um, the international component, the temperament, the fact that he doesn't do well there is actually mirrored by internet, you know, polling abroad, which we're going to talk about a little bit, um, it, where he is just, he's just getting terrible, terrible ratings abroad, whereas ratings are worse than Putin's in countries all over the world. Um, so there is a real sense that he has now the right temperament. He doesn't have the foreign policy chops required. Um, nonetheless, I mean, given all of this, you know, there are still some polls that show him tied or not losing by much. The, in the aggregate, however, it's been a bad few weeks. Nate Silver came out with a a probability today, I think it was like a 70% chance roughly that Clinton wins. At least that's where they're beginning. Uh, they're handicapping. That doesn't mean she'll win with 70% by their estimation, but that's what their chance of the likelihood, the, their estimate that she wins, uh, in the general. Um, but these numbers are nonetheless, you know, I, I think causing a lot of people to really grimace as they think about what what's going to happen in November. You know, can the VP pick, you have the VP picks and the conventions being kind of the next big thing. Will that turn these numbers around? Uh, the fact that there's been staff changes and new staff hires announced, is that going to change things? It hasn't, you know, it, that stuff is not making it to voters quickly, obviously, it's going to be the effect of all that stuff, but we'll just have to see. Um, but, you know, what Trump's reaction to all of this is to blame the pollsters. I mean, he's blamed the pollsters. He's roped Gingrich in to blame the pollsters. 
We've talked about this on the show a bunch about how he, you know, he would love the polls if the polls were showing him up. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm the reason anybody cares about the polls and the polls are all showing this. I mean, he, he loves to talk about polls while also simultaneously not conducting them or understanding them. And what was particularly interesting is he got really kind of granular with his polling analysis more than he usually does talking about the Bradley effect and the sort of shy <laughs> Trump effect. <laughs> So, you know, there was this theory that there was a shy, you know, shy Tories. This was, you know, one of the theories or hypotheses of why the UK polling was off in the election last year, as well as in a previous election where people were embarrassed or nervous about saying that they were supportive, you know, that they were Tories. And so they were shy Tories. And so the polling would be off. Similarly, there was a, you know, called the Bradley effect based on a, you know, a candidate, uh, running for office a long time ago where people were, I think this was in California where people were, you know, hesitant to say they were voting against him because they didn't want to seem prejudiced because the candidate was African American. And so the polls were off and they called it the uh, Bradley effect or the Wilder effect in Virginia with another candidate, Doug Wilder. So similar, similar thing. Um, so. We've seen this in Trump polling, too, where online polling has been better for Trump because people have been more free to say they were Trump supporters, where maybe they were embarrassed to say they were Trump supporters uh, over the phone, which was an effect that was only seen in college-educated folks. We had Kyle Drop from Morning Consult on talking about that research. But and so he referred to that. So Trump referred to that. And Steve Shepard, who's a guest, you know, previous guest on a show, wrote a very detailed analysis in Politico going through this to say, well, it's not really quite true. I mean, I, you know, look, I mean, <laughs> the easier explanation is not any of this. The easier explanation is, you know, he has a, he has a wild, you know, he has had a wild primary centric message that just doesn't fly in the general election because, you know, what he says demonstrates that he doesn't have what it takes to be president doesn't have the right temperament or the right positions and or the organization. You know, that seems to me a much easier explanation than the shy Trump effect. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was but, very powerful that, you know, in the context of the Republican primary itself, where where, you know, Trump in some states like Iowa was a big Iowa was a big one where because there was so much focus on it when Trump underperformed his polls, everyone was like, oh, wait, our pollsters missing this. The aggregate, I think, from this analysis by um, Steve is that on average in the primaries, Donald Trump overperformed his poll numbers by 2.4 points. But that's not a that's not a lot. That's certainly within margin of error in many of these surveys. So there was not really uh, it was not the case. Now, now, all of our listeners, when people come up to you and say, oh, well, did, didn't Trump always overperform his polls in the Republican primaries? The answer is no. On average, by 2.4%, that's, A, not going to make up being down by 7% to Hillary Clinton. Um, and B, that's still well within margin of error. That doesn't mean there was necessarily a, a consistent effect. It's just, I mean, and if you look at the, like the, uh, the standard deviation on this is actually, I've got to assume, is pretty big because it's not like he was consistently overperforming by two point four points. In some races, he underperforms by two. You know, he the polls overestimated him by a couple of points. In some places, they underestimated him by eight or ten. I mean, it was like way all over the place. So, what was interesting is this, you know, blame the pollsters thing that was has been happening. Not us, the pollsters, but pollsters generally. But there were people blaming the pollsters about the surprise over Brexit or what they felt 
they were led to believe that Remain would win and were surprised by the result. And we had our show right before the vote. And it seemed like the, the, you know, the race was really tied. Uh, then the, when the vote came in, I had a friend of mine from uh, an English friend of mine email me like, how did the pollsters get this so wrong? I, this is just so outrageous. How can we trust anything that anyone in your industry says? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, you know, the, it was tied, completely tied. Why this is not poll, you know, pollsters fault. And she said, well, I have to blame somebody. Who else am I going to blame? So I guess there's just this desire to find, somebody to blame and, and pollsters have become a scapegoat both for whatever's going on in 2016 and for Brexit. So, you know, you were staying up late or waking up early to watch Brexit returns. Were you surprised by what happened? I mean, what did you think as you were watching the results come? Well, when I was watching the results come in at first, it was really funny. I saw, I was, uh, I was at the congressional baseball game, um, you know, early on in the evening and, you know, the polls had closed and all of a sudden the pound started surging and the AP reported pound surges on reports that remain is likely to win. And I was like, well, so much for my breakfast beer. I'm not going to have to stay up all night or go to sleep early and wake up way early in the morning. This is, seems like it's going to be decided early. Huh? Okay. Um, and then of course that, that changed real quickly as, you know, certain other areas came in. Um, the thing that I think was, was surprising was because on that day, you had a couple of pollsters release like day of polls. I think it was Survey Monkey that released like a day of poll where they said, Ah, you know, we think that it's going to be remain by five. You know, so there were the, the polls overall leading up to the vote had definitely been trending toward leave. Um, look, I, I, I believe that it's, it's right to give the polls some criticism in this because again, it wasn't as though the polls were all consistently showing you know, leave by five points or leave by four points. Um, but they weren't as wrong as people are making them sound. Right. And I think that it's, I mean, the, you know, again, early on in the evening with the, the pound surging and all of these people going, oh, obviously, you know, it, it was this pro, it was this belief that undecideds, and, and my firm did some polling as well, and what we sort of found is that people who were kind of mushy and undecided and didn't really know what they wanted to do, they were leaning more toward remain. And so, you know, you can have this theoretical, uh, you know, this theory that, well, if these people actually show up, you know, they'll be risk averse, they'll pick, they'll go with the safe path. And instead, those folks showed up and they took the, they took a chance. They said, no, let's leave. Let's do the big change. And I think if anything, if there's anything from Brexit, and I'm skeptical of any of this, like, oh, what we can learn about Trump from Brexit, whatever. But in the UK, you had a lot of people who were kind of on the fence, who it seems showed up to the ballot box and said, you know what? I'm going to vote for something different. And that's why I keep going back to that Trump attribute that he, where he's really beating Clinton by a lot, which is that attribute of will bring a ton of change to Washington. If we get to November and people are really fed up and they walk into the voting booth and they're like, Ugh, you know what? I just want big change. Trump is just big change. Then do we wind up with a situation kind of like this whole Brexit thing? Right, right. Uh, there were a couple good articles that we'll link to. One was by John Cohen from SurveyMonkey and the other by Nate Cohen uh, from New York Times Upshot. And you know, one thing that they 
mentioned uh, that Jonko and I, I know specifically mentioned, it, which is very much similar to what happened during the Republican primary here, is this kind of magical thinking. You know, the predictive markets in the UK were much more, they had a much stronger uh, optimism for Remain than the polls, which were tied. Um, but the predictive markets seem very, you know, kind of hell-bent on Remain being having the advantage, just like last summer when Trump was surging, you know, we would talk about it a lot on the show. People thought, well, maybe people are just trolling. They don't really, you know, they don't really mean it. The polls are wrong. Maybe they're talking to the wrong people. There was analysis of, you know, how vote propensity was affecting Trump support. And, you know, if you really talk to actual voters, it wasn't that high and all, all this stuff just to find some way to explain why Trump was doing so well rather than just saying, look, he's doing well. This is what the poll, this is what poll after poll after poll shows. So it must really be happening. Um, and there was a little bit of that wishful thinking. Which was the, the point that, that John makes, um, in some of the UK coverage. And as a result, then, you know, pointing to the polls is the reason that, uh, people got it wrong is really, you know, only tells a little bit of the story. It doesn't really tell the whole story, but, um, we'll see. I mean, one thing that I've seen, I haven't seen a whole lot of post Brexit polling. The one thing I did see, which was from YouGov that show that a, a clear majority of folks don't want to see a second referendum. So I think it's probably, too early for outlets to really have a good sense of what the, what, you know, what kind of questions they want to ask. It's moving quickly. So we'll see what comes next. And then, you know, probably next week, there'll be a whole new wave of, of polling. And if you see some listeners, if you see any post-Brexit polling, you know, flag it for us. Cause I think this is good to keep looking at like, what's next? Do people, how do people feel? Are they surprised? Are they embarrassed by their vote? Are they excited? You know, they think it's going to be good or bad. You know, what are the outcomes or consequences people see? Those kinds of questions I think would be pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this, although it is also very sort of methodologically challenging to get people to accurately recall or honestly recall what they did and then honestly account for their attitudes about it. I mean, we know that if you say, you know, I think people tried to do polling about this after the 2012 election and Republican, you know, some of the Republicans I know were all excited because some polls said, oh, you know, 15% of Obama voters now wish they could change their mind. Or if the election was held today, yeah. all these people would vote for Mitt Romney. And so I kind of dismissed some of that in the same way that like the day after the Brexit vote, so many people were so like, oh, look, the BBC interviewed this one woman who says, oh, I voted leave, but I kind of yeah. didn't mean it. Like, look, all of these voters <laughs> yeah. are stupid and they regret their decision. And I'm like, guys, yeah. guys, guys, everybody needs to calm down. Um, so even if there is polling, which would certainly be better than anecdata um, to tell us, uh, you know, how people are feeling about things. Even in that case, you know, you may have folks who say, oh, yeah, well, I, I totally voted for leave, but I regretted it. And really, they didn't vote for leave. They're just saying that because leave won or, um, you know, they were actually remain people, but they want to make a point in the survey. So it's it's just, you know, everybody, data is better than no data, but also be cautious about what we can actually learn after the fact, especially if it's polls that are taken significantly far after the fact when people's recall is not going to be great. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So what next we've, uh, Pew released a study well, actually, where, bef- and there's before a couple- we go on, oh, before sorry, we yeah. go on to that, I wanted to just really briefly, we skipped over everything about the, uh, the statewide polls for Trump. And I think oh, yeah. just hitting that really quickly, um, 
so be- before we move on to this Pew poll on race, um, I want to circle back, you know, we've now gone through, are the pollsters wrong? Are the pollsters wrong on both 2016 and Brexit? The last 2016 thing that I think is valuable to point out is the swing state polling. So we talked last week about the Quinnipiac poll that showed um, people that showed that Florida was Florida's not a purple state anymore. Florida's a blue state. But that Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, they were close. Is this Lucy holding the football? Is this for real? What's going on? Um, and so when we take a look now, Ballotpedia has put out some polling in some of these swing states. Now, a, a, a note of caution, I think these polls were conducted over a long time frame, like, you know, most of the month of June. And you typically want to conduct polls in a more compressed time frame. But setting that aside, I mean, what this shows is it shows Trump down by 15 in Florida. Again, Florida not being in play. Um, it shows him down by four in Iowa. Um, Iowa and Michigan being the sorts of states that Trump would claim are part of his path to victory. Sure, he may be losing a Florida, but he'll pick up an, a Michigan or an Ohio or a Pennsylvania. Um, this polling shows that blue states are blue states. They are what we thought they were. Um, shows Trump losing Pennsylvania by 14. Shows Trump losing Ohio by 9. Shows him losing North Carolina by 10. Again, North Carolina, that's – if Republicans are losing North Carolina or playing defense in North Carolina, the, the problem there isn't even just that that means we're getting blown out at the presidential level. It means that, like, Senator Burr in North Carolina suddenly becomes – a, a member of the Senate who's vulnerable, right? You know, so we're not just talking about, oh, well, this this just shows that Trump's really bad. But a lot of these states, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, these are places with big Senate races where yep. if Trump really is performing as badly as this Ballotpedia polling suggests, you really have a Republican Senate that's in jeopardy. So, uh, you know, last week we did talk about how some of these that have blue states and purple states flipped around. Are there certain blue states that are becoming purple because Trump's winning working class voters? The Quinnipiac poll suggested maybe, but a lot of other polling is suggesting not so much. Yeah, right. And there are other states that are battleground states that Trump would need to win that are not in this list. But if they are performing, comp- you know, comparably, it definitely puts the Senate, you know, in play. Colorado, Colorado just picked their Republican nominee for Senate. It's not, you know what some would have argued would have been the, the strongest Senate candidate if, you know, Trump is doing badly there and Clinton has coattails. That's, you know, that's just another, another way that the, uh, you know, Republicans path to holding onto the Senate becomes, um, becomes fraught. So Pew did a poll recently um, that they released this week on race. And this confirms some of the things we've seen in some other polling uh, but it puts quite a fine point on it and really shows very stark differences. So we've seen in polling before that uh, white voters and African-American voters have enormously different views of their of their experiences with race and their views toward how others view race. And this really just confirms that they look at racial differences. They also look at party differences. And one of the questions that they ask where you see a real clear difference is even the question of how much attention is paid to race before we even say, talk about the nature of that attention or what we can discuss with that attention. Uh, 
41% of whites say there's too much attention uh, paid on race, uh, paid to race. 27% say too little among African Americans. 60%, almost 60% say too little attention is paid to race. Um, about 60% of Republicans say too much uh, attention is paid to race among white Republicans. Um, about half of white Democrats say too little. So it's not just about race. Party plays a real role here. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, real major differences in uh, when uh, Pew asks, what do you think are the reasons, major reasons that blacks in the U.S. may have a harder time getting ahead than whites? Um, for among black respondents, the top two responses are lower quality schools and racial discrimination. Um, huge differences on those two dimensions between black uh, responses and white responses among uh, whites. The top, um, the top reasons that people give are lower quality schools, but also family instability and lack of good role models. So there's real real major differences here. I mean, were you surprised by the nature of some of these differences, uh, Kristen? So I wasn't completely surprised, in part because if you look at the places where there's not a big gap between blacks and whites, it's things that are more, I guess, cultural, whereas where the big gaps exist are around things that you could say are systemic. So, you know, racial discrimination, lower quality schools, these are things that if you're somebody who is really, you know, issues of racial justice are important to you. I mean, there is a big debate about to what extent there is systemic racism or systemic discrimination um, or systemic, you know, de declining opportunities for folks um, of particular races. And you have a lot of folks who in this survey who are white, who are sort of saying, you know, I feel like most of that is done that, you know, most of the gaps that we're seeing are not systemic, that rather it's maybe it's cultural. Um, and of course the black respondents are saying, no, there's systemic differences. And so I think watching the factors where you see white and black respondents diverge really paints that picture pretty clearly about um, what people think is the root of, of the, the reduced opportunities that African-Americans have. The last poll that we'll talk about today is one about a Disney princesses. So a study published in uh, Child Development, it involved 198 preschoolers, and they wanted to assess uh, how much they interacted with sort of Disney princess culture. Um, the assessments of princess engagement and whether uh, these children sort of behaved in a way that is stereotypical of their gender, um, it was based on reports from parents and teachers, and they give let children sort of rank their favorite toys. Um, they'd have a collection of what we would think of as quote unquote girl toys, a collection of what people would consider boy toys and then sort of gender neutral options. And they found that uh, 16, 96% of girls and 87% of boys had seen Disney princess media. Um, and that while more than 61% of girls played with princess toys, at least once a week, only 4% of boys did the same. Um, and so with both boys and girls, the more princess interaction you had, uh, the more you sort of behaved in a stereotypical way for, for the female gender a year later. Um, so I always, when I see studies like this, part of me wonders, you know, I like on the one hand, I have uh, one very dear friend who has two sons and they love Frozen. I mean, in Frozen, the lead characters are Disney princesses. And in that movie, I mean, the plot twist, I apologize if I'm going to spoil Frozen for anybody who hasn't seen it. But, You're not going to spoil Frozen. But, you know, it's the princess is not like, <laughs> not oh, I'm waiting like for the prince to save me and I'm falling in love. Like, in the end, it's the princesses saving each other and their friendship and sisterhood. And, um, you know, 
Yeah, but if you're four, it, that you you know, it just I don't goes know right if that's true. Well, but then like, my point is. is that my friend who has these two sons, like they love Frozen, and like one of them, he'll call himself like I'm Elsa, and Dad is Olaf, or my friend is you know. So, in some uh, maybe I'm I'm just not as anti the the way princess stuff is being done now because i think some of it's a little better and i also wonder how much some of this is nature versus nurture my other girlfriend who has a young daughter she has really been adamant about not wanting her daughter to be exposed to any of this disney princess stuff and i guess somebody got her daughter like a cinderella princess dress and my friend was like oh no you know somebody got my daughter this princess dress i'm trying not to let her have it i'm like withholding it from her but the, now her daughter's like obsessed with wanting the dress. Like her mom has been trying to actively keep princessy stuff away from her, but her daughter just like loves it and is obs- like wants that dress. So she's using the dress to potty train her daughter now. Like if you go to the bathroom, you can wear the dress for an hour. <laughs> um, and so like part of me wonders how much of this is like how much of this is innate. I mean, I think it is bad if you're telling a child oh, you're a little girl, don't play with Legos, you should be playing with princess stuff. Like, that to me seems self-evidently bad. But if a girl has the option between Legos and the princess dress and unaided just chooses the princess dress, is that a bad thing? I don't know. You you have a daughter, so tell, tell what's yeah, your take I mean, on this? So this? So so I have a lot of complicated thoughts about it, right? So, like, I obviously, uh, not obviously, but it's probably not a surprise that I have tried to limit princessy stuff, right? When I, you know, Lucy's room, when she was born, her nursery was just gray and yellow and orange and green. Like it was just all neutral colors, right? Um, I, I too said, please do not buy princess stuff for Lucy. That, you know, I don't throw it out when it arrives, but it does arrive. There's nothing you can do about it. It just shows up kind of like, you know, it's like banning chocolate. Can't be, can't happen. There's no point in even trying. It's just, you will fail. <laughs> I wouldn't ban chocolate, but it's, the point is it's, uh, it's impossible to, to, you know, have that kind of, you know, for it to prevent it from arriving. So, you know, she's into it and it doesn't matter what, you know, what you can, what, you know, there's no other way around it, but what this study and a lot of the coverage about it talks about is, you know, what's the result of that exposure to princesses? I don't know if they looked at like the causality, you know, what the causality was here. Did they expose, did they do an experiment where they showed princess stuff and then saw that kids acted more X, Y, and Z kind of ways, or the kids who gravitated to princess stuff and were not really blocked in any way from doing it acted that way. That's kind of a different type of you know, self-selecting bias. I don't know the answer to that question. And then there was something else, I think, in the post story where people were talking about princesses had no effect on how the kids behave because they didn't really measure the types of conversations. So you don't know if they were saying like, look at that princess, or now you know that princesses can, you know, should be able to climb trees or whatever. So it, so it just really depends on how you, you know, how you kind of integrate it into everything else. But the one thing that they say, which is an important reminder is, you know, the, the thing that's bad about princes is not that they're pink or fl- frilly, you know, and that somehow something we don't like, because that's, you know, that's a gender bias in and of itself. If we decided that pink is somehow bad, I like pink, there's nothing wrong with pink. Um, but it's the focus on appearance and behavior, as opposed to like your abilities or what you think or anything, or, you know, the kind of freedom that you should have and liberty of being a kid, that if you 
are, you know, worried about getting dirty, which is one of the things I mentioned in the article, you know, that seems yeah. as limiting, you know, in a way that you don't want to be limited. I, that, so that seems that's very sensible to me. But my kids are no, not at all worried about getting dirty. So <laughs> that's something that nobody seems worried <laughs> about anywhere More Disney princesses in my house, who so. roll around <laughs> in dirt. There we go. <laughs> all right. Well, so yes, what did we learn exactly, this week, Marjorie? Exactly. Good news for never Trumpers. Bad news for Bernie or Busters. That's a word. Lots of people want to take on the pollsters, to which we say, bring it. Measuring bias is always tricky, but there's some sobering differences across party and candidate lines. And maybe Trump needs to play with more princess toys, and that way he'll think his leadership options you are limited. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually <laughs> at, at Soltis Anderson and at Margie O'Mero. We're at the www.thepolsters.com, where you can find our show notes. Or look for us on Facebook, where you can find links to stories throughout the week that we think are interesting and might talk about on the show. Don't forget to write a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, send us a tweet. Keep us posted on all of the fun polls you see out there. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Thanks.